you, choir and orchestra. Wow, that was just so good. Just so good. Yeah. <clears throat> Give the Lord praise. <clears throat> and I hope that's got your hearts ready for the Word of God. Take your Bibles and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 9. We'll read our text in just a moment. I want to ask you a question as I begin this uh, message this morning. And that is, uh, would you like to be known as a man or a woman of God? Uh, would you like to be known for that? My guess is uh, you would. You'd like to be, have that designation. And I don't mean in some broad religious sense, as uh, many people say, well, I follow God, that sort of thing. But I mean in the sense of being a man or a woman uh, that clearly uh, walks uh, deeply in fellowship with God. It said of the great uh, missionary Robert Murray McShane, uh, he was a, Scot a godly Scottish minister of the last century, that his face carried uh, with it such a godly expression that people were known to actually fall down and trust Jesus as their Savior just from looking at him. And uh, others were so attracted by his sacrificial, self-giving beauty and holiness of life that they found Christ irresistible. Well, Samuel is that kind of man. He is designated in the Scripture, and in the passage that we're going to read in just a moment, Samuel is designated four times in just a handful of verses as the man of God. He was known as the man of God. And the fact is, you can be known that way as well. In fact, James, writing of, uh, about Elijah, said that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Why did James say that? It is to encourage us and to help us understand. We, we say, well, there's Samuel and there's Elijah and there's Abraham. And we talk about these great patriarchs and matriarchs uh, of faith. But the reason James said that Elijah was a man with a like nature is, uh, as ours is to encourage you and to encourage me so that we too could understand that it's not about who we are, it is about who God is through us. We can be those very people. And uh, there's nothing to keep us from being like that except for ourselves. Thomas Merton identified the key reason, he said, why we fail to experience the power and the freedom uh, that comes in Christ. He says, it's not uh, that someone else is preventing you from living happily and for God you yourself do not know what you want rather he goes on to say uh, rather than admit and ask for God's help he said we pretend that someone else is keeping us from exercising our faith and our liberty in Christ and then he says who is that it is us we ourselves are those who prevent us from becoming what God has designed us and created and desires us to be in other words the only thing that will keep you from being a man or a woman of God is you so today what I want us to do from our text is I want us to learn why Samuel is designated this man of God now Samuel uh, uh, his leadership was during the period of what we call the judges he was a, just was before the king and uh, and so uh, the judges were generally known as judges, but Samuel seems to break out from that, that uh, title because he's called the man of God, the man of God, the man of God, the man of God. And we see it in this passage. Now, let me give you a little bit of background before we read our text. What's going on here is 
Uh, Saul's father has lost some donkeys. They can't find them. And he, he takes his son Saul and, and he tells him to take one of their servants and to go look for the donkeys. And they go out for uh, an extended period of time trying to find these donkeys and they cannot find the donkeys. And uh, finally, uh, Saul says to his servant, he said, we need to return and go back home because now my dad is going to be more concerned about uh, us than he is about the lost donkeys. He fears that we're lost, so we need to go back home. And his servant has an idea, and that's kind of where we pick up in this story. If you're uh, physically able uh, to do so, why don't you stand with me as we read uh, the passage this morning. Beginning in verse 5, where we pick up, it says, When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, that is the servant, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us, the way we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel, that's about three quarters of an ounce of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well, well, that is well said. Come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, Father, would you take your word now and speak to our hearts, teach us, instruct us, convict us, counsel us, God, show us the way that we should go. Lord, teach us how to be your men and your women, uh, how to, Father, be an influence for the kingdom of God, how to make a difference and how to walk with you in deep fellowship. So speak now. We are listening, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, the passage describes the beginning of the process of making a Saul king over uh, Israel. And as I said, he had been sent on a mission by his father to find these lost donkeys uh, with uh, a, a servant helping him. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, God is using this process as he always is. He's using what's going on here uh, for his purposes. And so the don lost donkeys are really a part of the process God is using to move Saul to an encounter with Samuel so that Samuel can begin to call him out to the real role that God had designed for him. And by the way, it is a reminder, this passage is, that God is always working in the details of your life. See, Saul just thought, we got to find the donkeys, but God understood what was really going on this the donkeys were a part of the process the details are a part of the process do you get it and so it is to bring him into this encounter and the reason is as our series title has been and is God is up to something big God was up to something big he was using the details he was using the donkeys to move Saul to the place where 
the man of God could call to Saul and uh, call him to the new role God had for him. Now, we all remember Samuel. Don't confuse the two. Samuel's the man of God. Saul is the, the man that will become the king, first king of Israel. Now, we can go back in this book. We all remember when Samuel was born, don't we? But fast forward, now we know what Samuel has become. Samuel was born and dedicated to God, but now he is a grown man. And he is carrying out the mission that he was assigned. And he is now the man of God. And uh, when, you, when you understand what God is up to in the process here of moving uh, Saul to his role, then you understand how God used the man Samuel to get him there. And I want to show you three things this morning in our passage uh, that I think are worth uh, noting about uh, this man of God. You, if you answered the question, which I hope you did, that I would love to be uh, known as a man of God or I'd love to be known as a woman of God, then let me suggest three things that will help you with that. Number one, I want you to notice Samuel's relationship. Verse 6 talks about his relationship. In fact, everything I will show you, I want to show you essentially out of verse 6 this morning in the, in the narrative. Uh, Samuel's relationship, we see there, but uh, he said to him, behold, there is a man of God. Being God's man or woman all begins here. It begins with relationship with God. It's a pursuit of knowing God. Now, listen, if that isn't active in your life, you will not go any further with God than where you are right now. All right? So the, rela- the pursuit of the relationship is uh, a vital to you becoming a man or a woman of God. Maybe you remember a movie from, I don't know, a couple of decades ago called The Karate Kid. You, you remember that? How many of you remember The, uh, remember the Karate Kid? You remember uh, this little uh, a young uh, guy named Daniel. He asked his kind of mentor, Mr. Miyagi, to teach him karate. He's a frail, skinny little kid, and he's, well, he's getting beat up. And so he wants to learn how to defend himself. And so he talks to Mr. Miyagi and he he asks him, would you teach me uh, karate? And so Mr. Miyagi agrees, but he says on one condition, you must totally submit to my instructions and never question my methods. And he says, I'll do it. And so the next day he shows up at Mr. Miyagi's and uh, he's eager to learn karate. And Mr. Miyagi assigns him the responsibility of painting the fence and he shows him how to paint the fence he says first lesson and he takes him to the fence and he takes the brush and he goes up and down up and down he hands him the brush and he walks off paint the fence and of course he spends uh, you know a lot of time painting the fence and takes him days to finish the the job and so he 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 does that and he uh, comes back and says okay the fence is pen- uh, finished now can we get to uh, the, the lessons, and Mr. Miyagi uh, hands him a, a, a bucket and a, a scrub brush and says, scrub the deck. And uh, so he, he takes him several days to, to scrub that, and uh, Daniel begins to wonder, what does any of this have to do with uh, karate? And, and so he's about ready to question that, but before he can, Mr. Miyagi uh, 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 says, I want you to wax and wash three beaten up old vehicles. If you remember, you remember the famous line, wax on, wax off, right? And so he, he does this, he, and, and Daniel reaches his limit. This is just more than that he 
planned on. And, and finally, he confronts Mr. Miyagi. He says, I thought you were going to teach me karate, but all you've had me do is your unwanted chores. And uh, Daniel broke Mr. Miyagi's one condition. And the old man's face uh, pulses a bit with anger. And he says, I have been teaching you karate. Defend yourself. And Mr. Miyagi thrusts his arm at him. And, and Daniel, who uh, has been learning these motions, instinctively defends himself with his arms exactly like he used in the chores. And then Mr. Miyagi uh, uh, unleashes a vicious kick. And Daniel averts the blow with a motion that he had learned in the chores. And after successfully defending himself with several more blows from Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi doesn't say a word. He just simply turns and walks away leaving Daniel to discover what his teacher had known all along, that skill comes from repeating the correct but seemingly little things again and again. You say, what does that have to do with this, Pastor? Well, the same is true of godliness. There are things that if you're going to live a godly life, you have to repeat. There are things that you have to practice that will teach and train you to become a man or a woman of God. And they may be mundane things. They may be things that you think, well, you know, what does this have to do with going deeper with God? But God has you in the training process. In fact, Paul said this in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7. He said, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godliness is a training process. And sometimes it is a training process. It means we have to go through a lot of things that we would rather not do. Wouldn't it be great if you could just bump up against somebody that you considered godly and it just rub off and you become godly? Uh, you know, we learned that in uh, high school biology, a process called osmosis. You remember learning about that? And it's about membranes and how they can come in contact with each other and, and uh, bacteria and different things and just be transferred by, by coming in contact with one another. Wouldn't it be great if you could bump up against somebody that was godly and go, wow, it's done, and walk off? Wouldn't it be nice? But it doesn't work that way. And uh, it is usually the process uh, that is involved. And, and so uh, let me suggest there are three things that you ought to keep in mind if you're going to be trained for the purpose of godliness. Number one, consistency in your walk with God. As you study the life of Samuel, his consistency is evident. From the time we uh, first begin to get a glimpse of him until he fades off of the scene, he is entirely consistent. He is faithful from beginning to end. Now let me just tell you and remind you that faithfulness is the hallmark of godliness. Faithfulness is the hallmark of godliness. Faithfulness is, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but faithfulness is about faith. Faithfulness is about faith. Uh, and that is a belief in God, a, a complete trust in God, a trust in His Word, a belief in His Word, uh, a trust in His purposes. Uh, and it will result, if we trust in His Word, what He has said, what He's instructed us, what He's told us to do, if we will trust in that, practice that, even when it seems mundane or it seems like there are no results manifesting, if we will practice that, guess what we will discover? We will develop a faithful, consistent life with God. And faithfulness is the hallmark of godliness. Now, something else to keep in mind is that character uh, must be shaped by God. 
consistent, we must be consistent in our walk with God, but second, character uh, must be shaped by God. Character is an internal commodity, so it isn't determined by external things. In fact, external things tend to reveal your character. It is an internal commodity. It affects the external things of your life, but it's not created by the external things. Character is based on what you believe. If you believe God and you believe His truth and you believe His Word, then guess what? It will shape who you are and who you become. Likewise, if you believe the wrong stuff, it will produce wrong character. Much physical and spiritual dysfunction is nothing more than a character that has been shaped by lies. Did you get that? A great deal of, of, of physical and spiritual dysfunction is the result of lies that have shaped a character. You know, the lies you believed uh, or the lies you've been told. And that's one of the reasons we have to be very in tune to what God says about us and who we are and what God says about a wor- our world and about God says about His kingdom and about what God says about the future and all of those things. We have to stay carefully tuned into that because the culture you live in, the relationships you experience and encounter in life will sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly cause you to believe lies. And whatever you believe will shape your character. And so it's very important that we understand that much of the dysfunction that can come into our life spiritually is because we believe, uh, we've believed uh, lies, uh, not from God, but from the arch enemy of our soul. Guess who is the father of lies, class? The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. And guess who, listen, wants you to live spiritually dysfunctional? Satan does. God doesn't want you operating that way. God wants you to be a godly man or a godly woman, but Satan wants you to believe lies. He's been doing that from the very beginning. It started in the garden when he told a lie to Adam and Eve, and they believed it, and guess what? It shaped their lives. What you believe will shape your character. And then a third thought to keep in mind is uh, convictions, convictions that are given by God. Uh, if, if you want to become a godly man or woman, you have to understand that convictions that you live on must be the result of this relationship uh, given, uh, this relationship you have by, uh, with God, and the convictions then are uh, subsequently given by Him. Your relationship with God, simply put, should determine the convictions of your life. When you walk with God consistently, you develop a God-shaped character. Uh, and that leads to God-given convictions, okay? Did you get connect the dots there? If you walk with Him consistently, consistent walk with God will develop a God-shaped character, and a God-shaped character will result in God-given convictions. And so if you and I are going to walk with, with God, we're going to have to understand the pursuit of our relationship involves our consistent walk and, and, and our character that is shaped by uh, what God has said and convictions that are subsequently given by God. And the deeper your relationship with God, guess what? The more you share in and understand how God sees things. The deeper your relationship is with Him, the more how you see the world will be shaped. Everybody has a worldview. That's become a popular term 
really in the last uh, uh, decade, but it's been around a long, long time, but it's been popularized, a worldview. What's your worldview? And there are a lot of, there are a lot of corrupt worldviews. There's only one legitimate worldview, and that's God's worldview. And so if you want to, if you want to be a man or woman of God, you've got to have a worldview that is, is <clears throat> consistent with the worldview or aligns with the worldview of God. And the three things that make that happen are your walk with Him consistent, uh, consistently, the character that's shaped by Him, uh, of course, and your convictions that result. These things create the right kind of worldview that help you become a man or woman of God. So it begins, it begins with relationship. And today, if you have no relationship with God, this is the, the day to make that happen. This is the day to put your trust in Him and begin to let Him shape. In fact, Paul said it this way, if any man is in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, behold, uh, all things have become new. Old things have uh, passed away. If any man or any woman is in Christ, they've been transformed is what Paul said. That means they've been given a new worldview. They've been given a worldview that is consistent with their belief and their uh, trust in God. And so it all starts with relationship. The second thing that I would uh, show you today about Samuel and this man of God is Samuel's respect. Did you notice in verse 6, he is a man who is held in, in honor or esteem. Now this is one of the byproducts of being God's man or God's woman. It is a kind of respect. It is a kind of honor. And this honor, listen, is not bestowed on those who seek respect. This honor is not bestowed on people that seek respect. This honor, this esteem that Samuel was held with and, uh, is, is an honor that's bestowed by God. He didn't seek their respect. He sought God. And then God subsequently honored him. It is true that those who seek him will have his honor upon them. And Samuel did. And subsequently he was honored by God. It's not the product of self-promotion. It's the product of God's favor. Uh, this morning, our staff was praying, and we prayed, God, put your favor on this church. Put your favor on the people. We prayed for you that the favor of God would uh, uh, be upon you and upon this uh, church and upon our worship and uh, upon the message and all of those kinds of things. The favor, that is, that is a, a product that give, is given to us by God. It is not the product of self-promotion. In fact, there's no indication that Samuel's ambition was to be respected. We don't pick that up at all, do we? We, we don't see Samuel uh, seeking that. There's a passage in the scripture that, uh, about a man named Barak, and, uh, and he is warned, he's uh, even told, do not seek great things for yourself. We see none of that with Samuel. Uh, Samuel's uh, ambition was not to be respected. If there was any ambition by Samuel at all, it was to be obedient to God. That was his ambition. But his ambition wasn't saying, maybe I can get people to respect me. Maybe I can get people to look up to me. Maybe I can get people uh, to honor me. That's, that's not what's going on here at all. Samuel, uh, was uh, uh, his goal and his ambition was to be obedient to God. The Paul uh, wrote himself and said, uh, if I boast in anything, I will boast in Christ the Lord. I won't boast in myself. Paul could have, by the way, you know, Paul was an incredible Pharisee before he got saved. He said he, had, he was a man of means. He had uh, everything he needed. He was rising up faster than all the peers in the rabbinical school. And, 
and uh, uh, the, uh, he was a leader among the Pharisees, and, and yet he gave it all up. And, uh, and he said, I'm not going to boast of who I am, who I was. I will boast in Christ and Christ alone. Samuel's ambition was to be obedient to God. And as a result, and here's what we need to understand, the result of his desire to obey God brought with it the honor of God before others. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 verse 6, he says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. That's just contrary to the world, isn't it? The world doesn't tell us to humble ourselves in order to be exalted. The world tells us you've got to find ways, you've got to craft ways to move up the ladder. Uh, you've got you've to uh, see if you can make things work out where uh, you can be promoted. And sometimes you're going to have to promote yourself. There's a book some years ago uh, that I was given uh, and it, it, it was titled 101 Ways for Self-Promotion. 101 Ways. For, I have to tell you this, I've never read it. But isn't that interesting? That's what the world said. And by the way, it wasn't a spoof book. It was supposedly a helpful kind of book that people could read and find all these creative ways to get their name out there and all this kind of stuff. How absurd. How absurd. You see, that's the world's methodology, and we can't fuss at the world and get mad at the world for saying we're trying to figure out uh, how to, to, to move up the system, but the fact is God has a better way, and God has a different way, and God says, here's the way. The way is to humble yourself, and Jesus even told the disciples, he that would be greatest among you, let him be servant of all, all right? The, the way of God is to humble ourselves. Peter says, and therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let God exalt you in due season. Being God's man or God's woman isn't about gaining respect. It is about serving God. And subsequently, God determines the level of respect we receive. He was a man held in high honor. He was respected and esteemed by the people. But respect is not something we, we uh, produce. It is something we receive. Years ago, in another uh, decade, in a, another uh, uh, place of service, another state, I had, a, I had to call a man on my staff in for correction. He had, with a heavy hand, he had tried to force some people in our congregation. Um, he had to force some people that were under his specific area of ministry to follow him spiritually. He was trying to force it, and they rebelled. And I tried to explain uh, why they were rebelling against his uh, leadership. And uh, he didn't receive it. And his response is, well, he said, they don't respect me, and I'm going to make them respect me. Well, you already know that it doesn't work that way, does it? And my reply to him was, they, you're right, they do not respect you. And, and I said to him, I said, they will not respect you the way you are dealing with them. I said, in fact, they hold you in utter contempt. I said, you can't force what you're trying to force. It is not something forced Eventually, I had to let him go. 
But the point is this, respect isn't something forced, it is something given. And generally, and in particular, when it comes to being a man or woman of God, it is given by God. And the respect that Samuel received was because of his godliness. It wasn't something uh, that was demanded, it was something that was given. And by the way, for you and I to be spiritually respective, it doesn't uh, respect it. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to agree with you. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to like you. We know that's true of, of uh, Samuel. Uh, Samuel, as, as we know, will, will call Saul, says, here's what's going to happen. But you remember last week we talked about the fact that Samuel uh, told them, uh, you're not going to like getting a king. You're not going to like the results. They didn't receive his message. Samuel, whom they respected, think about it, but they said, we don't care. We respect you. We respect your message, but we don't care. You Listen, you can be a man or a woman of God. It doesn't mean that everybody will like you or everybody will agree with you. Give us a king. Samuel at first took it personally, you remember? And God had to say, this isn't about you. This is about me. Uh, they respected him spiritually, but they still refused to follow his instruction. I think also of Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached a message, and they didn't like it at first, and so their response was, we don't like your message, and we've got some prophets who will tell us what we want to hear. It's a lot like America today, by the way. And so Jeremiah preached the message. They didn't like the message, and they said, we'll get our own prophets. Our prophets tell us what we like to hear, and we like hearing what we like to hear. And so the prophets told them what they, and Jeremiah said, they're wrong. They're, they're, they're lying. They're telling you what you want to hear. They're not telling you the truth. And they despised Jeremiah early on, and they threw him in a pit and put him through all kinds of harassment until finally what Jeremiah began to say began to to come true and then they pulled him from the pit the king brought him in and said give us the the message now what is the message and, and Jeremiah says this is what God says and if you don't do this this is going to happen by the way it would lead to their captivity for 70 years in Babylon and and so Jeremiah saying if you don't do what God uh, if you don't repent if you don't turn back to God if you don't get rid of your idols if you on and on and on then this is going to happen and suddenly finally they Jeremiah has the king's attention he has the people's attention because times are are rough uh, on them and so they say okay whatever you say they tell Jeremiah whatever you say we're hearing now we respect your message we we get it we get what you're saying but so whatever you say to us we will do and then as things lightened up on them and Jeremiah continued to to move them or push them toward God guess what they did they said no we don't like that stuff anymore we respect you but we don't like listen when, if, if your goal is to be a man or a woman of God, don't expect the world will like or agree with you. <clears throat> if you want to be respected spiritually, let me give you a couple of quick things that will help you. Number one, focus on pleasing God. If you want to be respected spiritually, focus on pleasing God. Let this set the tone for everything that you do. Be a God player. I'm going to please God. Uh, and by the way, that'll lift a burden off of you when, you, when you're not, the, the Bible says the fear of man or the attempt to please man is a snare, it's a trap. And so if you want to be a man or a woman of God, first focus, focus on pleasing God, make that your ambition. 
Number two, be who God created you to be. God has created you to be. We've talked about that, including in this series, go back several messages, but uh, when we talked about the will of God, you're created for the will of God, and God has a will that he wants you to be involved in. Be who he created you to be. If you want to be a man or woman of God, don't be a copy, don't be a facsimile, but be authentically who God has created you to be. Again, there's great liberation there. And then third, obey God whether approved by others or not. Obey God whether approved by others or not. Uh, it's a wonderful thing if others hold you in high esteem. But it is not necessary for you to live a godly life. The question is, not do others hold you in esteem, does God hold you in high esteem? You know, there was a man went through a whole lot of hardship. His name was Job. You remember the devil came to God about Job? Y'all remember that story? The devil came to God about Job, and uh, he said, you know, he only serves you because you have made his life so good. You've enriched his life so well. But if you remember how that conversation starts off, God says to the devil, have you, have you seen my servant Job? What was God doing? God was saying, have you seen, you, you, you realize who he is? God was holding him in high esteem. Friend, friend listen, my point in tell, is to tell you this. It doesn't matter if others hold you in high esteem or not if God doesn't. The goal is that God would hold us in high esteem. But there's one last thing I want you to see this morning as it relates to this whole idea of being God's man or God's woman. And that is, I want you to notice Samuel's reputation. Verse 6 again says, and all that he says comes true. All right, so Saul and his servant, they're just looking for donkeys. But they think this guy's a man of God, man of God's in touch with God. They did trust God. And, and so if, if we go to him, he'll tell us where we can find the donkeys because he's connected. And if anybody knows where the donkeys are, God knows where they are. And so if we get to the man of God, the man of God can get uh, uh, in touch with God and God will tell him and he can tell us. And, and you know, the servant says to Saul, and you know what his reputation is? Everything he says comes true. Everything he says comes true. This is his reputation. This is Samuel's reputation. It preceded him. Now, let me give you a word of caution. Reputation is not always accurate. Hello? Reputation is not always fair. But in this case, it was spot on. Samuel's reputation, like the kind of respect that Samuel had, was a result of his walk with God. It was a God-endowed, just like his respect, his reputation was God-endowed. And it was the result of him walking in fellowship with God. And you say, well, well I want a God-endowed reputation. Then we must live for God. And, then, and by the way, you don't have to worry about your reputation then. You live for God, let God take care of your reputation. And by the way, when you live for God, as I said, some people will get it right and some people won't. It doesn't matter if God gets it right. Hello? But Samuel's reputation was also the result of manifest evidence. It wasn't just, well, he's the man of God and therefore 
uh, his reputation is that everything comes true. No, it, there's a reason that that reputation developed, and that is because there was a track record. Samuel had a track record. There was fruit. There was evidence. Oh, yeah, if that, you go to him when he, whatever he says happens, there's a track record uh, that has uh, uh, evidenced the fact that he's in touch with God. Jesus said this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What was Jesus saying to us? Something very simple, and that is your fruit testify to who you are. Your fruit produces a reputation. Samuel had fruit that had produced the reputation that Whatever he said, because he's the man of God, whatever he says comes true. Now, it's true that we can spend too much energy on building a reputation to impress people. In fact, I would say don't put your energies into trying to impress people. Use that energy, add that energy to whatever energy you have to try to impress God, to try to pursue God. And, uh, and don't spend it on trying to impress other people because you're usually impressing people that probably don't care anyway. So you're just wasting a lot of energy. Uh, but instead, focus on, uh, on pursuing God uh, and impressing Him. Now, we can also neglect building our reputation for God. We may, you may say, I don't really care what people think about me uh, at all. But you might also be essentially, because of the lack of spiritual fruit, saying, I don't care what God thinks about me either. One is worth neglecting. The other is catastrophic spiritually. No, don't neglect the pursuit of your reputation with God. Because God, people get your reputation wrong. God never does. He knows you fully. So that's why you pursue him uh, and, uh, again, to uh, impress him and then, uh, and then allow the fruit of the Spirit to manifest in your life and evidence the fact that, uh, that you are truly uh, walking in fellowship with him. So there are two components, in other words, to uh, a life of godly reputation. The first is that um, the fruit of God must be revealed in your life. That fruit is by the Spirit of God, the fruits of the Spirit. Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, and uh, self-control. All of these things are product of the fruit of the Spirit. By their fruit, Jesus said, as we read earlier, you will know who they are. A bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. A, uh, a tree of a different kind doesn't produce uh, an apple tree doesn't produce oranges. And so Jesus' point is that your fruit does tell a story about your life. And that fruit is not something that you can just personally create. I decide, I, I think I'm going to produce this kind of fruit or this kind of fruit. No, it is a work of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit. The second component is, if you want to have a godly reputation formed, is by the favor of God expressed on your life. 
As I told you again this morning, we prayed for God's favor on our church. I pray that frequently for us and for you as the family of God, that, you know, that the favor of God would rest upon us, that God's been so good to us. But I pray it for our staff. God, put your favor upon them and, and on and on, the favor of God. The favor of God expressed on your life uh, will, will lead to a, a godly reputation. And how is that favor expressed? Well, it or found probably is a better way to say how do we find the favor of God we find the favor of God by our proximity to God our staff know that word because I've used it frequently in our staff meetings a proximity proximity draw near to me and I will draw near to you that's proximity and if you want to develop a, a godly relationship uh, uh, if you want to have the the favor of God upon you expressed on your life, it's going, to uh, it's going to result from your proximity to God. Those components, the fruit of the Spirit and your proximity to God will build a godly resume. A godly resume. And by the way, that's what you want, don't you? You want a godly resume? Uh, I guess it 21 years ago, about this time of the year, 21 years ago, the search committee for Ridgecrest uh, contacted me. They had received my resume from a couple of people. I had not sent it to them. Don't, I, I'm, I can't even remember how they got a hold of it, but they contacted me and said, we'd like to talk to you about becoming our pastor. I was in Atlanta uh, there working for our mission board, and, um, and they came and heard me at a revival meeting there, and, and um at any rate, so we talked, and then they asked to come and at an, uh, not too long after that hear me again. I was preaching in Phoenix City and come down from Atlanta, and they came up to, to hear me again. And we, we would go out to eat each time, and I don't know if it was the first time or the second time, but somebody on the committee, while we're having lunch together, and we're just talking, they're asking Allison and I questions, and, um, as any search committee would do, and, and they got to talking about my resume. And somebody on the committee, again, I forget who it was, somebody on the committee uh, said this, well, we've, we've read your resume, and your resume is very impressive. And I, I responded back to them, I said, well, thank you. I said, I wrote it. <laughs> and I wrote it to be impressive. And, and they said... And we, we've contacted all your references, and all your references had really great things to say about you. And I said, that's because I put people on there that would say great things about me. <laughs> and <clears throat> in the moment, they laughed just like you did, and we laughed together about it. And I said something to the effect, I said, the fact is, all of our resumes look good. Because we write them. And we write them to look good. Nobody ever creates a resume and says, let me tell you about how pathetic I am. <laughs> or let me tell you, uh, let me give you a, a, a chronicle of, of some problems that, uh, I've, I, I, that I deal with. Or let me tell you about all my failures instead of my successes. No one does that. I mean, it's a personal resume is of our own making, and so it reflects uh, a reputation that we want to communicate, but it might not be completely accurate. Now, mine was. Mine was 100% accurate. 
But you get it, don't you? You get it. Well, let me tell you, there's a better way. The better way is to let God write your resume. Right? Let God write your resume and let God handle your reputation. And let that be the byproduct of a godly walk in pursuit with Him. He'll write your resume. Can you be a man or a woman of God? That's the question we started with. Well, the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. What's keeping you from being a man or woman of God? Probably you. And not willing to seek Him with all your heart and all your soul. Jeremiah referred to again, and Jeremiah said that, uh, well, he was quoting God to the people, where God said, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will, listen, God adds this, I will be found by you. Friend, God wants to walk with you in a deep relationship. He wants it. He desires it. But he won't force it. That's why it starts with you and your relationship with him. And so that's why your response to him is important. Now we're about to give an invitation. An invitation is, well, it's just what it says. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to respond to him. And it may be in any number of ways. For example, maybe you say, you know what, I know him, but I... I haven't been pursuing him. Or I used to pursue him. I, there used to be a depth of my walk with him, but it's not there anymore. But I want to be a godly man or a godly woman. And you may have to start by saying to him, God, I know I should, but in my heart I really don't. So God, give me the desire to have the desire. I know what I'm talking about. Many years ago, I found myself having to pray that prayer. I know all the right stuff, God. <clears throat> and I know what I should want. And I had to say to him, God, I don't even know where to start except to say, would you give me the desire to desire you? Maybe you have to start there. It's okay. By the way, if you're not... If you don't desire him, you're not fooling him. So start there. Say, Lord, give me the desire to desire you. Maybe you're watching or by television, listening by radio or live stream, whatever it may be, and you realize today that, that your relationship with God is dysfunctional, either because there isn't one. And by the way, if you don't know Christ, you're in a dysfunctional you're dysfunctional spiritually. If you do know him and you're not pursuing him, you are dysfunctional spiritually. And, uh, and because he loves you, he won't force you to get it right. But he will say, I'm here. I'm here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down. Take my yoke upon you and I will give rest to your soul. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you need to come and bow before, this, before him at this altar. You're perhaps praying for someone or 
praying about some matter or maybe you're praying and seeking him say god i i'm committing myself to a new pursuit of you use the bent knee before god it's there's something about a bent knee the bible talks about lying before him and falling down before him there's something about it that humbles ourselves. humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of god that he might exalt you in due season maybe this morning you 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 need a church home or church family why don't you just slip out and come say i want to join ridgecrest i'll be here staff are going to be here if you're watching or by television or live stream they'll give you instructions on the screen there of how you can do all that you're, there are other ways you can use a tear-off panel in your worship folder on the back you'll notice it gives you opportunity to uh, make a response you can take that and you can drop that in one of the baskets or the or take it by the welcome center there are people there to help you and assist you with that but the key is that you hear the voice of god the key is that you are sensitive to his spirit the key is that you don't walk out and go i'm going to do that eventually you ready would you pray with me father thank you uh, thank you that <clears throat> what your word teaches is not something that can be possible but something that is possible and so father i pray today that you will speak into our hearts those who are watching by live stream and television listening by radio in this live audience god you speak to us whatever it is father that whatever next steps we need to take to be a man or woman of god father help us this morning to say god i hear and i will obey we pray in jesus name amen would you stand with me for our invitation the choir and aaron are going to lead us i'll be here staff will be on the sides if there's a decision for you to make come to one of us and we'll help you with that we'll take it from there come and pray around this altar.